en een hartelijke goeiemorgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte. Vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord. En Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Kry dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. As easy as the touch of a button, the message of life on 657am. Ja, die boodskap van die lewe, 7 minuut oor, elf hartelike goeiemorgen, skrifteerlik, is waar jy ingeskakel is in een sonnige Pretoria, 30 grade, en een heerlijke, prachtige lente dag hier, so op die vooraand van lente, maar ja, net 22 augustus, saan my in die atelier pastoor Rocky Stevenson, ek het nou vir hom gesê, hoop jy Afrikaans is goed, hoe gaan het met jou broer? Dit gaan baie goed met I. Yeah, ja, yeah, <laughs> verseker gaan het baie goed met ons. Dis goed Afrikaans. Dis goeie Afrikaans. Ja, okay, yeah. wonderful to have you on board and we honor the Lord for bringing you here safely. Pastor at Benoni Bible Church. In a nutshell, we haven't done this for a while. Who and what is Rocky? How do you introduce yourself? Human, uh, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, yeah. HR, no, I, human rights? I, I identify as a man. Yeah, and uh, and as a bell ringer at Benoni Bible Church. All right, all right. There you have it. Tr- truth so. remains, you're the pastor there, and it's a, a honor and a privilege to have you on air with us. The DNA of this program, as jy ingeskakel is, en ek kom al vir a paar jaar, Rocky sê vanochtend, kan jy geloof ons saai al amper a jaar lang uit, nie? Wat ons skriftierlik doen, dan uh, stier jy op vraag na hierdie program toe, maybe somebody somewhere, somehow said something that doesn't make sense. Uh, did you hear what he said? Rather facetiously, tongue-in-cheek, he says, I identify as a man. And uh, I saw something the other day, a picture that with this uh, wall, and there's a door in it, and on the door it says, I identify as a door. So uh, use me, and uh, you'll be sure to get inside the building. So, uh, as jy a vraag het, en jy wil het vir ons deerstuur, dan kan jy dit stuur na 082-657-2729. Nou, ek weet, uh, jy is in jou motor, jy is by die werk, Jy is by die huis en die pen is nie waar jy hom laas geloos het nie. Moe nie bekommer nie, ons gee gereeld in die program die WhatsApp nommer en waar jy jou vraag gaan stuur. Net een kantlijn opmerking, sit asjeblief vir ons die skrifgedeelte by. That which uh, God's word does not make sense to you, just add the piece of scripture, add it in, it just makes life a little bit easier here in studio. So 082-657-2729, and yes, by welkom, leefstelvra, bybelvra, enige vra uit die woord van die Heere. En as jy net luister volgend, kan ek jou vra om te bid vir Rocky en vir ons hier in die atelier, dat die Heilige Geest ons sal inspireer, dat wat ons doen, nie vlees sal wees, nie maar geest sal wees, that we be Holy Spirit inspired, and as we endeavor to share the undiluted word of the Lord, 
We don't know it all. We don't have all the answers. But we trust the Lord by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving that He would supply us and give us wisdom to answer you from God's Word. We're not interested in man's opinion. We're interested in God's Word. And so we call it scriptural. Skriftierlik. Steer it for ons. 0826572729. Rocky, let's go. We received a WhatsApp that says, Blessings. Vailant and Rocky. The sad truth is that not many churches are willing to help single mothers because it's difficult when it comes to the men in the church for they are married. And the single men there is uh, the issue of wanting relationships. They, they, they're looking for wives to be. So uh, what are we to do? How do we handle it? What does God's word say in this regard? And uh, I think the core of the matter is here, uh, how do we help single mums in churches through the church structures? Mm. Does the Bible give us advice? Yeah, and, and, and what, a, what a great highlight. I, I do think that local churches should be a, a safe place for Single moms as well as single ladies, whether you are um, a lady that is also widowed. Um, and the church should be a place that actually you can come and be safe. And James one twenty seven even speaks about the heart of our God regarding widows and orphans. And that would extend, I believe, toward single mothers as well that face various challenges. But to address this as well, churches can can even offer practical support, I believe, you know, creating mentorship programs, for example, even in as uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 3 to 5 speaks about with older women that are teaching younger women and teaching children. I do believe that there's the place of uh, one-to-one type of ministry in particular from older women towards younger women, just as they ought to be between older men and younger men. There should be a healthy discipleship that takes place within a, a local congregation. And there is also invaluable guidance that older women can be providing to younger women there, building strong relationships among one another within the congregation. Um, but it's also wise for pastors or for uh, to, to really follow guidelines that ensure respectful interaction. And, and what I mean by that is that we need to be those that exemplify a behavior that is beyond reproach. And, and so as a practice of what we do at Benoni Bible Church is we won't meet with a single woman alone. As a pastor or as my fellow elder, we would meet together that, that woman. So you take a fellow yes, elder take with? a fellow elder with or yeah. another older mature man. But we would also make sure that that's not a, um, a constant kind of a meeting. If there yeah. was this desire to have that meeting, we'd have maybe one meeting and we'd make sure it was a relatively short meeting. And then we would be very quick to hand that lady over to an older mature lady within the congregation. We really are in a privileged position in many respects at Benoni Bible Church that we've got a vibrant uh, women's ministry that is that is happening on a Saturday every once a month and every second Wednesday. All right. And there's a ladies' Bible study, so we push them toward th- that kind of an environment. That is all spiritual. What if a single lady needs a gutter to be fixed, a room, a light bulb to be changed, a leaking tap? Mm. Within the structures and the confines of the church, uh, you know, what do we do? How do we do that? How do we help there when yeah, it becomes practical? I, th- I think that there can be that type of a practical 
help that can be um, facilitated. I, I would be careful as a pastor or as elders to be distracted with that. I think that there was already a, a, a very big distraction that came and a possible distraction from the ministry of the word and prayer, even in Act 6. And that's why I believe it's important that we do have spiritually minded, spiritually moved and motivated godly men that are deacons. And you can see that in Acts chapter 6 when it came to the widows that were the Hebrew widows and the Hellenistic widows and that tension that arose from the the food portions that were given to these widows. So I do think that if, if, a, if a local church sees that need of that practical care towards the widows that are there, you know, helping or fixing a gutter or the fixing of a toilet, I do think that that can appropriately be played out and lived out by spirit-filled men in a congregation. And even there, there's a there's a fitting way in which you would do that. Yeah. Let's say one of our deacons is wanting to help out um, Auntie, uh, I don't know, Auntie XYZ um, at her house. And he would then take one of the other deacons with him or one of the other men in the congregation. There wouldn't be this like one-on-one mm. time in their home, even if Auntie XYZ was 87 years old. Yeah. There's still an appropriateness in the way in which we live out our Christian And somebody's life. watching and somebody's listening. And, and indeed, I mean, Timothy, when it talks about older men and younger, younger men, it speaks and it gives the same kind of a qualification, says they should be dignified. They must be self-controlled. And, and there's an element there, there where we need to be, I believe, very careful, and especially in our day, you know, when you think about just the brokenness that we see all around us in our world, we, we need to be those that, that exemplify a godly living amongst brothers and sisters. And even in that section in Timothy where it talks about how younger men are to treat older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all dignity. And that specifically uses those terms, in all dignity. And there we see that familial kind of relationship that we ought to have in the Lord. But I think even for single men, single women within the congregation, they ought to be this treating of one another with dignity, with respect. That's paramount. While it's also important then to build these friendships, everyone should prioritize worship and discipleship. And that must be the big thing that we see when it comes to our local churches. We're not specifically there to help each other with the gutters and the toilets, etc. But if we do help each other like that, it needs to be done with respect and with dignity and with honoring Christ and honoring our wives, honoring husbands, etc. Um, if there's a romantic relationship that develops, of course, the Bible speaks to these things as well. You know, you think of somebody like Ruth with Boaz. Oh, yes. I mean, she had lost her husband. Yeah. And yes, she was. And Boaz respectfully looked after her. And they got married. And you have actually, that's the grandmother and grandfather of King David. You know, because Jesse was born from Ruth. And, um, and, and so that's amazing when you look at the way that God in his mercy actually uh, there's that whole principle of the Kingsman Redeemer and the fact that he actually was the one of the nearest relatives, but other relatives were actually first in line from Boaz to marry somebody like Ruth. But yeah, God redeems somebody like Ruth, who's even a Moabites. You know, that was something yeah. that was not, um, in a sense, on the menu when it came to getting married to in the Old Testament. Yet God, in his mercy, looks upon somebody like Ruth and he provides for her. But Boaz also treats her with utmost respect and she treats him with utmost respect. And God brings together that relationship. So it may be that in the context of a local church, a single woman comes in. Maybe she's a single mother because of various reasons. Maybe there'd 
been infidelity from her husband who had left her or there's uh, death and she's uh, a widow. And uh, the Lord is the one that can redeem that. But we must look to him in worship and we must be dignified in our behavior. And then there's also the context of a local church that should be where you have godly elders that are able to help walk you through some of this, um, these intricacies in that sense. All right. Bless your heart. Thank you so much. Excellent question. I hope we uh, completely answered that for you and that it makes sense. Uh, another woman that's sending a WhatsApp says, I'm a woman, mid-60s, and yes, here's my dilemma. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly tired. Tired of listening to everyone's problems. Tired of taking care of everyone. Tired of everything and everyone, am I alone? And what does the word of God say with this regard? I'm so thinking of the day, the disciples where the Lord Jesus says, come aside, come aside. Mm. You need to take a break here. What do we say to this mid-sixty woman? Yeah, I, I really understand that weariness um, that she's feeling. And often you'd feel that in ministry as well, where you get a sense of great weariness, especially if you've, you've been... Yeah, especially if you've been ministering to a number of people. So I want to then try and encourage her via the scriptures, but then also practically. You know, Galatians 6 verse 9 is a passage that comes to mind. That says, and let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due season you will reap if you do not grow weary. And so there's actually biblical injunction there to to keep an eye toward the future, the fact that in due time we will reap, and to not grow weary, which means that the temptation that we face is to become weary in doing good and to step back from doing good. But instead, we ought to be trusting in the Lord, asking him to give us the strength to continue to minister the way that he would have us do. But it is something normal to feel drained. And that's why Paul writes that to the church at Galatia. And God promises in his word to sustain us. And we can take God according to his word. Prayer then comes in. And I think that prayer is a really practical, powerful tool for the Christian that is facing this kind of a weariness. That's where we find real rest is in the worship of our great God. The Christian needs to get into their mind that it's not about a holiday that gives you rest. Now, it's lovely to have a holiday, you know, but you can have a real peaceful environment around you. You can be out in the bush. You can enjoy all of that God's creation around you, but you might still not be peaceful in your heart. It's God who, and it's worship of God that really brings peace and really brings rest. And, and we can be in prayer before him. You can have a real busy bustling city around you with all the noises of the modern world that we're in and you can have real rest i'm thinking of heart. daniel opening the windows three indeed, times a day indeed they're in the capital of yeah. babylon you know, a heathen country exactly and there it's the capital city in a sense of the world at that stage with yeah. all of the bustling movements around him yet he found true worship of god at that place of prayer and that's where i would encourage the listener is that when you're struggling when you're going through feelings of difficulty and you're actually growing weary Think about something like Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, where we are to bring all of our prayers and our petitions before him with thanksgiving. And there's a nice little key for us, thanksgiving. And maybe it's a worthwhile exercise to put a little piece of paper on the fridge with a magnet or whatever and just write out a thankfulness list that you can go and look at and go, I'm so thankful to the Lord for this. Because that thankfulness, in a sense, is like the petrol in the tank with regard to not being weary. It helps to spur you onward and upward toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gives you peace that then guards your heart and your mind 
in Christ Jesus. But then also Hebrews 12 verse, verse 15 is another key thought because I do think that sometimes, you know, this, this anonymous listener has put this question in and saying, but I'm in my 60s. You know, it may be that you've been harboring some bitterness in your heart. And here's an honest moment that you can have between you and God. It may be that you have been taken advantage of, that you have been hurt, that you maybe have started to actually build up some resentment and some bitterness in your heart. And Hebrews 12 verse 15 is the verse then that the Spirit of God would give you. It says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble. We've been pulling out a number of weeds again. We're getting ready for the springtime. And it's almost like that bitterness can spring up in the heart like weeds. And that can cause a great sense of weariness because when it comes a, to serving the Lord. Because there's a lot of people, broken people, that has been affected by other people. They join a church. They want to get involved. They get to the, the what did somebody say yesterday, the inner cliques. Mm. And then they, uh, they, they, you know, they, the whole expectation, it falls short and you walk around with bitterness in your heart and you say to people, well, you know, I don't believe in this church thing anymore more run when it's christians you need to run and is that, that that saying that they say it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody, uh, else, somebody to die. else to die from it yeah and i do think that we need to look at our own hearts and go is there unforgiveness that i'm harboring is there bitterness that i'm harboring and then and then really take that to the lord and oh, right. this idea of bitterness actually refers to this resentful or hostile attitude that then may maybe is causing that inside of you you know and, and again i, I just you know, thinking about somebody like Ruth once yeah. more and um, Naomi, actually. Yeah. And in Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, Naomi arrives back in, in Bethlehem and she actually says to the people, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitterness. You know, and, wow. and, and for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly toward me. Yeah. I, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The name Naomi means pleasant, while the name Mara means bitter. And so Naomi's statements actually reflect this deep sense of loss, pain, bitterness due to the tragedies that she faced in her life. And the Lord um, dealt with her so wonderfully and actually restores through Ruth. And as what, what you see actually later on is that Jesse is actually attributed as a son of Naomi. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, and that's that Kingsman Redeemer element where now this grandmother, in a sense, became like a mother again and God yeah. restores to her. So you're saying even, she's not alone. There's even people from the exactly, Bible. Who even felt from exactly the Bible, the there's, there's this. And I think what you were mentioning yeah. as well is so important when it comes to rest. Yeah. You know, what, what is, and, and to really look at yourself and your situation and go, have I actually been resting Matthew in the presence 11, of the Lord? We don't necessarily need a holiday, but just actually think about, have I taken a day that I will be in God's word and in prayer before him in my seven-day week? Am I taking a day that I rest and where I will worship Jesus? And Jesus himself withdrew his disciples for a time in a quiet place, like what you mentioned in Mark 6.31, come ye apart a while, um, come and rest. And then... As I thought through this uh, some more, you know, when you think about this, our culture today tends to toward a lot of manipulation, but it also in our South African culture, we tend toward this kind of over politeness. And I do think that that can drive us towards a place where we start to feel like, man, I'm just so tired. What, struggling of to say no? This. 
yes, struggling to say no. Mm. We're just pushed to this point of exhaustion. Yeah. We've become almost this, this doormat to everybody because we believe that that is the social norm. Yeah. That's what we're expected towards. And, and that's something else to really look at and say, well, am I actually being manipulated in the way that I am in, in my practices? Let me go back to the Lord. Let me not grow weary. Let me find strength in God's promises. Let me seek rest. Let me mm. wisely then care for myself underneath Christ and and then get back to loving right. his people again. Nothing that focuses you on the Lord like a day of fasting and saying, Lord, I'm coming to you. Every mm. time there's that hunger pain, so you want to drink a coffee or you want to, whatever you're fasting before the Lord. Nothing that focuses you on the Lord like a day of fasting. We had a brother here at uh, Radio uh, Pulpit, uh, Simon, uh, Simon Sauer, and uh, he's gone to be with the Lord now. Every Monday that God gave, uh, whilst he was still in this world, he would fast on a Monday to rest before the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful brother in the Lord. Thank you so much. Uh, Sanet von Sekunda says, good morning to everybody. Verduidelik as a brief wie my gemaakt Please explain who made me. If God stopped creating after the sixth day, and I got my parents' genes and everything from them, then who made me? God or my parents? The word says he knew us before we were here. It is also says that we are created in his image. So how does one understand this? It, it sounds like a simple question, but it's actually a very good question, yes. uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I do think that this... Um, treads that line between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man that we see all the way through the scriptures. So this is a marvelous question because is Jesus God or man? He's both. Yeah, he's fully is the both. Bible written by God or is it written by man? Both. Both. Yeah. Um, is, you know, who made me? God or man? Both. And so there's this dual aspect of God's sovereignty and our responsibility so thanks for that question in genesis 2 verse 7 we do see that god formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being and then we have woman taken from the rib of man in and they are she's given to him he says wow man when she comes across to him so we call her woman and from there he says go procreate fill the earth and and so he's commanded to go and have children and to fill the earth. And so children come from that that honoring of that command. Yet there is still an element where God even still is creating in that sense. And God is still working because in Psalm 139 verse 13 to 14, it beautifully describes the way that you were made. You were intricately woven in the depths of the earth in your mother's womb. God made you. He formed all of your your inward parts. And I just think this, this is a, a, an amazing concept. We went this last week on Thursday, my wife and I, and my two little boys, Levi and Simeon. And we went to the sonographer because my wife is 21 weeks pregnant. And we're expecting another little boy in, in our family. And we thank God for this. We were able to see on the scan, here's this little boy. She was able to take us through the heart and through the brain and through the spine and to count 10 fingers, 10 toes. We were able to see all of this. Now, my wife and I, of course, have made this baby in the sense of our union as a marriage. 
gift but, of God. But did we actually make this baby? I mean, like you what didn't did put we, the spirit into the exactly, cell. Exactly, we you did didn't not. put we, the spirit into the and, cell. And life and death is in the hands of the Lord. Isn't and it God Himself that said to Job, "Tell me, where, when do I put the spirit into man?" Yes, indeed. And I mean, so this is a, a divine, intricate um, moment, and this this question is wonderful because it takes us all the way back to Genesis. It takes yes. us back to Adam and Eve that were created. Yes. Now, even my son Levi, for example. He looks so much like me. When people say, hey, but he looks like you. My other son is adopted, uh, Simeon. And, uh, and sometimes I'll tease if somebody says, oh, he looks just like you. If I'm walking with both of them, I'll put yeah, my yeah. hand on Simeon's head. I say, I oh, know, it's amazing, right? <laughs> and he looks just like me. Yeah. But um, but they'll say, no, Levi looks just like you. Then my answer to them is, well, he's got time to grow out of it. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. But you're right in a certain sense because yes. you're made in the image of God. Yes, Your sons are made in yes, the so, image so of God. So there's this little guy. Levi, who is, you know, 23 chromosomes from dad, 23 chromosomes from mom, that makes up those 46 chromosomes that make him this little person. But he's absolutely uniquely his own little person with his own fingerprint that nobody ever has had in all of the history of mankind. And there's this divine, you know, invisible part of that little boy, which is his soul spirit, and there's the physical element Comes of him that you Lord. can see that is that is absolutely made of the Lord. And that's what Psalm hundred and thirty nine verse thirteen to fourteen says. And we and what is the result of this? Because he says, For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's the element that that I think this draws on. And that's that dual element. Now, we, we were speaking about David uh, coming from um, Jesse, which came from Ruth. Yeah, you've got David saying this very same thing. Yeah. I've actually, my, my origin is from God. Even though I'm coming from this earthly lineage, yeah. I'm, I'm, God is the one that has done this. He's the one that has been faithful in this. And this is just amazing. So the concept of parents playing the role in the physical birth is is also highlighted in Genesis 4 verse 1, when, when now Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived and they bore Cain. Yeah. You know, so you've got that element that you're coming from. All of us are coming from Adam and Eve. And there is that element to, to the fact that in his created order, he created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Yeah. But we must not forget that God continues to work even right now. Even our Lord Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished while he hung there. But he continues to work now. The book of Hebrews says he is at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for the saints. All so right. he continues to work now. Can can we bring Roderick in here? Because I see Roderick on, on, on WhatsApp has asked the question, and it ties in beautifully with Sanet from Secunda. She's asking, wie het my gemaak? God, of is it my ma or my pa? Then Roderick says, well, let's take it one step further. Who made the Egyptians? Uh, where does the Egyptians come from if we were only made from Adam and Eve? Yes. Um, where, how does that, how yeah, does good, that tie Good question, in? and that's where we need to be able to continue reading through the the, the Genesis accounts. Genesis is all about the beginnings and the marvelous reality of the book of Genesis. It deals with four main events, the first 10 chapters of the book of Genesis. So this is a nice weight that you can remember the book of Genesis. It's 50 chapters all in all. The first four main events, you've got creation, the fall, the flood, and the nations. And that's Genesis 1 through to 10. Then you've got four main people of Genesis, where you go from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph towards the end of the book of Genesis in those 50 chapters. But it speaks about all of our beginnings. Now, you had one united people group 
even all the way until past the flood. You'll remember that in Genesis chapter 6, the flood, the great flood, happens on the earth. And and these things are not only able to be historically verified. They're not only able to be um, archaeologically verified. But this is biblical truth. If we are to take the Bible for what it teaches and what it means, and to say God means what he says and and says what he means, then we've got to take a what is called a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of the scriptures. And so we get to see where the Egyptians actually come from. Because from Genesis 6, you have the peoples beginning to populate the earth again. You have yeah. the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jopheth. Yeah. And you have them starting to become different people groups. Which, by the way, this diversity is something that has been created by God. Because of man's rebellion towards him, because all of mankind, up until Genesis chapter 11, spoke the same language. Ah. And until Genesis 11, when the Tower of Babel was built, these peoples were wanting to, they actually were ignoring God's command. Because after Genesis 6 and after the flood, God says to them, go forth and multiply and and cover the earth, go yeah. spread. He actually says to them, go, but instead they want to stay. And this is a very interesting thing, because what does our Lord Jesus say to us at the Great Commission? He says go. to us, go. What do we often want to do? We, stay. we want to stay. <laughs> and so God said that actually to Noah's children. Yeah. And instead they huddled together. They wanted to stay together. So they built this tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Bible. They wanted to be great in their own eyes. And this is the constant thing that mankind has done even since the Tower of Babel. Man is always wanting to make a name for himself. Even the ziggurats, which if you go and look oh, up the yes. ziggurats yes. all around the world, all of these pyramids, they always were trying to, as these unique people groups that split out from, from Babel, they were wanting to do the same thing they did back at Babel. And God punishes them for that as well. You think of the Aztecs and you go and see some of the massive cities that they have. But anyway, getting back to now this, and that's where the pyramids come from in Egypt as well. So you have these people groups, these language groups that split out from Babel and they begin to go to their own places. The nations. The nations. And and, and beautifully enough, you know, when you think about the book of Revelation and yeah. right at the end in, in, yeah. in uh, Revelation 21, you have all tribes, tongues, tongues and nations, nations, family groups wow. before the throne of God. Yeah. And this is the marvelous reality, the one who unites all of these people groups, all of these language groups, because the Bible even says when you speak a different language, you come out like a you, you become like a foreigner yeah. to that individual. Yeah. Yeah. The problem isn't skin color or uh, background. Often language. the problem is language. When Right. don't understand one another. You think we will be united in heaven hereafter? One one tribe, one tongue, one nation? No, we will all we will have these different tribes, different tongues, different nations, but we will be united in Christ. All right. So we will be a people of God in that sense. But this diversity is so beautiful to God. I just, I mean, even this last week we had one of our, uh, some of our members in the church. There, it's a, a, a Sutu man and a Zulu wife who have just had the birth of their second born. Right. And, and I just thought this is so beautiful what God is doing, even at Benoni Bible Church, where there's this diversity there, but there's a unity in Christ. Because beautiful. in Christ there's neither slave nor free, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither male nor female. Yet no, there is male and female. Yeah, yeah, you know, we, yeah. I'm a male. My yeah. wife's a female. Yeah. But in Christ, we're one. 
And yeah. so Christ is that unifying element. But where did the Egyptians come from? They come. They came from Adam and Eve, just like mm. um, the South Africans, you know, and I, the Chinese and the yeah. yeah. I mean, we 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 had this dog the one day. We got a Welsh Pembroke corgi a few years ago, and sadly he died of cat flu. I mean, I'd, I'd, of, I'd all things, a, of all things, of all things on like the day of Christmas, <laughs> I think it was, or the day after Christmas. And uh, we had a, he was a pedigree. I mean, like he's we spent a lot of money to get him. Yeah. We knew his lineage. Like we could go back generations of this dog and you know you think to yourself like I can't even go back that many generations yeah I'm just a pavement special you know but even a pavement special in South Africa can trace their lineage all the way back to Adam and Eve like the Egyptians can all right bless your heart Roderick thank you so much and we just work your question in there let me keep my promises can you believe it's 22 minutes to 12 o'clock and uh, Fossi Foster asking such a brilliant question there we'll get to that in a moment or so as you ask it 0826-2729 as you a script gedeelte het wat you ook wil bijvraag sit het net by dit maak dit bykie makkelijker and man what a privilege it is to bring you this program please pray for us here in studio that what we share with you is God's opinion God's word the undiluted word and remember listening to us this morning there's a huge responsibility on you to go and search the scriptures and make sure that these things are so 0826572729 and dit is waarin jy jou vraag stuur just before we take a quick break Love this question. Love, love, love this question. Fossi Foster, jy is volgende aan die beerd. Baie dankie. Goeiemorgen, ouwens. Waar kom die foto's vanaf waarin Jesus uitgebeeld word? Vooral in die kinderbibels. Wie het besluit op die foto's? En ek wil bysê, do we have the right? Are we allowed to to make images of Christ. What does the Bible say in that regard? I'm just thinking of the past Rocky. What is it? Uh, the Passion of the Christ, um, the Jesus film. Um, mm. Just thinking in this this last uh, hundred years, um, the, the images of saints, mm. so-called, in, 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 in uh, paintings and, and all sorts of other types of outbuildings. Goeie vraag, Fossi Foster. Ja. Mag ons dit doen? Waar kom die goed vanaf? Ja, look, I, I think we have to be very cautious with this. And, and I do think that we have the descriptions that are in the Bible that actually speak about Jesus not looking any different from the, the people of his day. He would not have stuck out in a crowd, but he also had no form of majesty that drew us to him. Yeah. So he wasn't somebody that looked different from anybody else that would have been walking around Isaiah says that, doesn't of, it? Yes, the land of Palestine at that time. I do think that the, the, the picture that we get often in children's books w- would come from people desiring Jesus to look like them, wanting Jesus to, to look like the epitome of a gentle, um, you know, blue-eyed type individual in their society. And oftentimes that has come about where, where they're wanting Jesus to almost fit in with the culture that they're in as well. And, and this idea that Jesus has now come from them. 
And and oftentimes the picture that I think you're referring to in this question is this in these children's books is this gentle looking Jesus surrounded by children, sometimes one or two children that's on his lap. That would come from something like Mark 10 verse 13 to 16, where you've got the parents that are bringing children to Jesus. His disciples say to them, no, go, stay away. Jesus is not interested in this. He says, no, let the little children come unto me. And he puts his arms around them. They're on his, you know, he prays for them. And that's that scene that I I think often comes out in like children's books but what what we need to realize is that that is not inspired that is something of an of a artist's kind of an impression we've got a, a missionary down in the cape and i'm sure that you'll probably have him on air at some point cal lewis i think i gave his number to you at one point i can't remember if he was interviewed or not by you Vainant, but a wonderful brother yeah. and there's this work in the location setup where he is and they they paint they they got an artist to come and paint a muriel as well and he actually strictly said to him don't paint jesus on this mural but next thing this big jesus this big white jesus is on this mural in a location type setup as a and european it, yeah as a european guy and that yeah. was and he was painted by a cape colored right. onto that on the, but there's this image that i think sometimes comes to the mind of people yes. that this is what jesus looks like and and this is a wrong conception actually of and, and even from a historical perspective, we would actually be closer to the accurate when it comes to him actually having a much darker skin. Right. Um, according to even somebody like Josephus, he actually speaks about Jesus having had skin that looked like a burnt pot on, yeah. the, on, a, on, a, um, on a fire in that sense. So I do think we need to be careful with this. But I, and I also think that it is good that we don't have a description in the Bible of exactly how Jesus looked. So, so what about Exodus that says, Jy mag vir jou geen gesnede beeld, vir enige gelijkenis maak van wat boe in die hemel is, of van onder op die aarde. So I'm talking about Exodus yes. 4 here, that we God explicitly say we're not allowed to make, uh, let alone of Christ, but of, hoe sê die Bible hier so, a gesnede beeld of enige gelijkenis van wat boe in die hemel of van wat onder op die aarde is. How do we uh, to interpret that? Because uh, directly, I want to take you to Revelations 1 and verse 13 that describes Jesus in his godly form. Yes, uh, and and that man that blows you out of the water when For you sure. read what he what he looks like in his godly form. Yes, what do we say with regards yeah, to that? Yeah, and and again, I think we need to be very careful with this. We are not to make any graven images. We're not to make anybody, um, you know, we're not to make some kind of an idol. What we do need to remember, as far as Colossians says, is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yes. So any image actually of who God is is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is yeah. the radiance of the glory of God. And as you mentioned with the revelation element, you know, when you think about what happened even with John, when he saw Jesus he in his glory, out. he literally falls on his face yeah. as though dead before him. And you do have a picture of Jesus just shining forth in yeah. his glory very differently than what it was when he was in his earthly body in that sense. And however, he's still in a heavenly glorified body so i yes. don't want to say that jesus is no longer bodily yeah. because he is and we know that from the ascension of jesus there was something different about him in regard to the fact that he could walk through doors and you know there was a, a sense that in his glorified form very different but we do need to be i think very careful with coming up with a um, different kind of a jesus and 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 that's where i think it, there's wisdom in god's word in being 
written out to us. Even if you think about some of those, the scenes in the Old Testament, you know, David with Bathsheba, we're told in the Bible about what happened with that. It's not painted for us. Yeah. It's not shown to us in picture form. It's not given to us in Hollywood's version yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah. And I do think that that's where we need to be so very careful. And even when it comes to things like The Chosen in today's, which oh, by yes. the way, is, yeah. is, it's, it's, it's produced by cultic people. It's not, it's not biblical. And there's so much Rogerian um, f- philosophy and, and psychology that is mixed into that Disney-like stuff, follow your heart nonsense that you should really stay away from something like that. But it makes this picture of what the disciples look like, this picture of what Jesus looks like. And the Bible talks about fables Um, in Timothy in the last days. Be careful. Be warned against fables and and, and these kind of stories, isn't it? So so whether, you know, creating this image of Jesus is a matter of then a personal conviction as well. But we should, I, I believe, stick stay clear from that yeah. and and help our people to really see what the bible says about jesus his person his words his work because this is what is acceptable before the father but he our lord jesus is the image of the invisible god god uh, rocky i want to state it unequivocally he is the god of the nations yes. he's not black he's not white he's not colored he's not uh, chinese mm. any color he is the god of mankind, isn't he? He is, indeed. And, and I mean, he is also that fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that yeah. through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, of course, Jesus was born in a Jewish setup. Yes. He was born yes, understandably. and he lived a perfect life in that sense. He fulfilled the full law of the Old Testament. Yes. So he lived his life as a Hebrew of Hebrews, if you wanted to call yeah. it that. And yet he is the one that is the grand fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And and through him, salvation to all mankind is preached. So how do you explain to Levi and Simeon the pictures that you see in children's Bibles? What do you say to them? Yeah, We, we actually tried not to have children's Bibles that have that kind of a picture oh, right. of Jesus. So we do have um, what what I've been enjoying doing is just going through the Bible itself. So yeah. we, we've been doing the book of Matthew and the book of Proverbs. With Levi in particular, we have another little book. How old are they now? Levi six and yeah. Simeon is three. He's All turning right. four in September on the fifth okay. of September, and um, and so we we would we have another little book that goes through the Psalms, but there's no picture of Jesus in in that. All right. And so you steer clear from that yes. altogether. We, we have another another little book that was quite a, a good children's Bible called the Big Picture Bible, and in that one, Jesus doesn't actually have like any specific picture it, it, it's actually just you can see just a very shining bright light of who jesus is you know so there's a, a bit of a different way that jesus is depicted in a storybook like that um so so we 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 tend to be i think more on the careful side in our home in regard to to pi- a picture of jesus it's something else i need to be careful of because i says i must play music in this slot as well i'm absolutely fascinated by your questions thank you so much for the very very interesting questions you're sending in this morning we have to take a music break the authorities of us says well as part of our broadcasting mandate to share some music as well little falls worship in him in christ so many scriptures that talk about christ in us in you galatians 2 20 a song called in him when we come back we probably have another five minutes left in this program can you believe it oh wait two six five seven two seven two nine 
Yeah, well, if I don't fade it there, we're going to run into trouble. We've literally got three minutes uh, left there. Little Falls Worship, a song called... in him, Christ in us. So many scriptures that speaks about that. We'll be back right after this. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. Trusting the Lord for growth in the Christian family. Welcome to the family of God. Right, let's tackle the last one. Rocky, I'm not even sure if we can do this within three minutes. All the way from Kleibecha, Ilalin, that says, I fail to understand this scripture. Please, can you shed some light on it? Matthew 23, 23, you should tie yes, but do not neglect the mo- more important things. What do we say? Can we say it in three minutes? Yeah, um, so this, this passage, let me read it. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out gnats but swallow a camel. Now, Jesus in this particular section is actually going after the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the religious elite of his day. They were making such a big thing about the tithing, and they did this even with things like mint, cumin, and dill. They would actually have specific people that would be hired to even count out mustard seeds so that they did nine is for this person, one is for God, nine is, yeah, one is for, and he's saying what you've done is you've neglected other areas that are so much more weightier, more important, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You've neglected those things, but you've made such a big thing out of these small things. And he's using this in a way, even talking about these small little things that they're now counting out, and he's making a point. He's saying, you guys have lost the plot. You've gone off into legalism, but you've actually neglected the heart matters, the things that actually where you are yourself given all the way to the Lord. Now, when we can, if we can boil this down even just into a one-minute type thing, I don't believe that there's any New Testament principle regarding tithing. We have what is called grace giving. Grace giving is what you have decided to joyfully give to the Lord out of what the Lord has given to you, recognizing that you fully belong to the Lord. Now, that would be to actually get to the heart of the matter of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What we're called towards is that justice, faithfulness, and that mercy. How are we living our lives as believers? How are we giving of ourselves for our brethren? Are we building one another up? So our time, our efforts, our our resources, all is to be used for the glory of the Lord. Jesus gave his whole for us, all of his life for us. We're to give our all for him. When it comes to the the support of the local church, there ought to be, I believe, a disciplined amount that we give as believers toward the work of the gospel. There is an area of element of responsibility that we have to to not let the, the ox who's treading out the grain goes starving. There is a there is New Testament principle in regarding looking after those that have given us the word of God. Do good to those that have given you the word of God and to share all good things with those that have given the word of God. But there is no New Testament version of tithing. The Old Testament, if you'll remember, was a theocracy. And the tithing was even bigger than that 10%. 
They're the temple taxes, etc. The Levites were the government of the day, and they would be provided for by almost a 23% giving, which would, would be a taxation system in the Old Testament. So I hope that's helpful in regard to the tithing. But the main thing Jesus was after here was the hearts of these individuals, these people that were on the outside, whitewashed tombs, doing all of these religious practices while having a heart that was far from God. And he's still after the heart to this very, very day. Illelin, bless your heart, all the way from Kaibecha, uh, Port Elizabeth. Rocky, somebody wants to write you an email, get hold of you. Where do they get hold of yeah, you? You're welcome to do that at pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za and we often even deal with some of the questions that come through onto my email address on our um, Tuesday right, there you have it. Now, there's a huge responsibility, as we said at the beginning of this program, to go and search the Scriptures, Acts 17.11, and make sure that these things are so. Thank you so much. It is because of you that we can have a Christian radio station and broadcasting freely, freedom of speech, unto the ends of the earth. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you. Uh, be a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, unashamedly so, because somewhere in this world is a lost soul that's watching, that's listening, that needs the salvation and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next time, Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much for this morning. Don't forget, you can catch him quarter past eight, Mondays to Fridays. Let's talk. And you can catch him there, of course, and on a Tuesday at uh, 11 to 12 here in Scriptural. Thank you, Rocky, for what you've done this morning. Playing out with Hopes and Dreams, a song by 11th Time Down. Until next time, keep well. God bless you and shalom.